I'm Mark Kane with the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Mark, I am so looking forward to our discussion today with Bob Work. He has such deep experience in national security and defense and has spent two years living and breathing AI as vice chair of the National Security Commission on AI. I too am really excited, Miriam. I had the chance earlier this week to take a quick look through the 760-some page report that the National Security Commission on AI published uh, just recently, and it is really an impressive piece of work. There is so much to unpack there, and I'm just extremely excited to be able to ask Bob what his experience has been like, what he's learned, uh, and what he thinks we all should know about AI and the future of AI in the U.S. I agree. And one thing I think is also very notable, both about the report and how it's been published, is they not only made broad recommendations, they gave us specific proposals on how to implement. So they don't just talk about data literacy. They talk about actual programs that they want the government to fund and support. They're very clear on how much funding is needed. They're very clear on the need to talk about civil liberties and civil rights and privacy and building trust as we develop our AI. Uh, And the other piece that I think is really notable is how user-friendly they made the website. So while the number of pages of the report itself may be intimidating, it's very digestible in how they've made it user-friendly and approachable on the website. Absolutely. I think it's a a real achievement in um, public engagement and communication. And I would recommend all of our listeners have a look at the website and see what it's all about. Absolutely. So let's dive in. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by Bob Work, who many of you know has a distinguished career in government service and is a national security expert. In addition to his 27 years of military service, he was Under Secretary of Navy during the Obama administration and returned to government service as Deputy Secretary of Defense. He is widely known for developing the third offset strategy, as well as many of his other important roles. He is, has been chief executive officer at the Center for New American Security and is currently president of Teamwork, a consultant firm that specializes in national security affairs, military and dual use technologies, as well as the future of warfare. And very relevant to our discussion today, uh, Mr. Work is Vice Chair of the National Security Commission on AI. For all of these reasons, we are so thrilled for you to join us today. Thank you. It's great to be here, Mary. And there's uh, this little report that came out very recently, 763 pages, I think. Uh, and we are excited to talk to you about each of those pages today. But uh, we should start by Uh, just realizing the call to action that you gave Congress, government, the American public, uh, where you specifically say right in the the front and center of the report that the commission is delivering, quote, an uncomfortable message. America is not prepared to defend or compete in the AI era. So we'd love to ask you about that call to action, how it came to be, uh, and, and probably we should start with some context. Where did this report and commission come from and who is the intended audience? Congress was the one who established uh, established the requirement for the commission and the National Defense Authorization Act. And uh, so it started out as a presidential commission, uh, but it then became more of a federal commission 
and we considered our primary customer would be Congress. They were the ones, both the Senate and the House. They established an AI caucus in each of the chambers. Uh, they established uh, leaders on AI who worked close, closely with us, hand in glove. And so we consider Congress our primary customer, but we worked very closely with the White House. And so, you know, I think both the administration and the uh, Congress uh, have been looking forward to the report. Terrific. And um, it's, a, it's a big report and there's a lot in there. We want to dive into as much as we can. But one thing you said is that all of the commissioners are convinced that AI-enabled threats are going to be a big threat to free and open societies in the future. It's a big and scary statement. Uh, I'm wondering what specifically are you envisioning when you made that statement? Can you just walk us through um, those threats? Okay, I'm going to use a term that wasn't used in the report, but uh, democracies are under attack each day, and I'll call them governance and societal cohesion attacks. They are attacks that are mounted by our authoritarian rivals. And what they try to do is identify divisions in our societies and widen and deepen them. And they try to disrupt uh, the normal flow of governance in democratic societies. Now, everything up to this point has just been done by bots you know, enabled by humans. And when you put artificial intelligence behind this, where they can do micro-targeting and really kind of point these uh, cohesion attacks, it's going to be much, much, much worse uh, for democracies. So it's important for us to develop, develop our own defenses and the best defenses against artificial intelligence is better artificial intelligence. So um, we believe also very, and we state this in the report, this technology competition is a competition of values. Technology will reflect the values of this type of govern, government uh, that are pursuing them. So the Chinese use AI to suppress minorities, to do population surveillance, uh, to do things that a Western government or a Western democracy simply wouldn't countenance. So we want an AI future in which the privacy of our citizens is protected, uh, that we are not using these technologies to suppress minorities. And it is important that uh, you know democracies win this long-term competition because the values of our democracy will be reflected in the way we apply the technologies. Most certainly. And one thing I was curious about, given your deep experience in national security and defense, as well as in the AI space, I'm curious if there are aspects of the recommendations or the process that were surprising to you that you, you wouldn't have imagined uh, two years ago when you started this process. I'm not certain I was surprised by any of the recommendations, but I was surprised at the depth at which our commissioners dove into each of these issues. You know, we have these four broad pillars. We say we need to establish top-down leadership in the country. We, and the way we recommend doing that is to establish a technology competitiveness council chaired by the vice president with executive branch leaders and cabinet secretaries as the members. 
And this would do what the National Security Council did in the Cold War. Uh, you know, it tried to fashion a whole of government response to the Soviet Union and uh, fashion a whole of government strategy. After the end of the Cold War, the National Economic Council was formed because we concluded that economic competitiveness was going to be the absolute most central thing at the end of the Cold War. And so now that we've moved into this era of hyper technology competitiveness, we thought a technology competitive council would establish that top-down leadership. We say clearly that you win this by talent. And we have a wide variety of recommendations on how you get more talent into the government and into the Department of Defense. We started with, should we have export controls? And we quickly came to the conclusion that export controls on software just don't work. It's too diffuse, it's out in the wild. And we need to have an open uh, ecosystem so that the R&D can flourish. But we do have an advantage in hardware and we did say we should establish export controls on hardware. Uh, and finally, uh, on innovation, we need to up our game in terms of the amount of money that we're spending. Uh, we actually, we recommend that we get to 40 billion per year by FY 2026 in terms of AI R&D. We ought to have a national technology foundation alongside the National Science Foundation uh, as an independent agency to drive investments and coordinate infrastructure for experimentation and testing and to support commercialization. And you know, this is expensive stuff. So we recommend an AI research infrastructure where we democratize R&D, where small companies, academia, big companies can get access to high compute, I mean, to you know, powerful computing resources algorithmic libraries, data, the things that we would need to supercharge our R&D. So I think in the back of my mind, I knew we needed to talk about leadership, talent, hardware, and innovation, but it was the depth and uh, I think the recommendations that surprised me. Some of them, like the Technology Competitive Council, I said, wow, I wouldn't have thought of something like that. But as soon as I heard it, I said, wow, I wish I had. So um that's really key now across all of these things and this is probably important for your uh, uh listeners is across all of these four what we call pillars are partnerships you know we believe that the west and all democratic uh, nations should work together on this primarily because we want to develop and field ai responsibly and we want to uphold our privacy, civil liberties, and civil rights when we do so. And so the more the merrier in this, uh, we share, the, the more we can share data, the more we can share algorithmic development. Uh, we believe that we should have a multilateral AI research institute. Um, and we have a lot of recommendations on how we work with the uh, European Union on this endeavor. It's terrific. And there's so much there to unpack. And I think we want to come back to a couple of those points, including the, the talent piece. I just want to ask, though, in terms of all of these recommendations that you've put out, and you've put out a lot, 
How have they landed so far? Which ones have proven to be the most controversial? Well, it's early. Uh, we just published the final report on the first. But what Congress asked us to do, we were originally supposed to stop in November of 2020. And when talking with Congress, we said, look, is it better for us to drop the report right after an election and right when in the midst of a transition? Uh, because we knew even if the Trump administration had been reelected, there was still gonna be some type of transmission. Or would it be better to wait until after the inauguration, the new administration was in place, and most importantly, the new Congress was in place. And so Congress said, let's extend you to March of 2021 and drop the report then. But they wanted us to be feeding them recommendations each quarter so that they could uh, consider them. And up to this point, 17 of the recommendations we've made have been adopted into the National Defense Authorization Act, for example. So Congress has been anxious to get the recommendations and they have acted on many of them. And we expect them to go carefully through the report, prioritize and start to go after things. So I'll give you an example. We recommended that we establish a United States Digital Service Academy modeled after a service academy like the Naval Academy or the uh, West Point. And it would be designed for civilians to go in, get a hardcore STEM education. And then when they graduated, they would go into government service for a period of time. And we already have several members who want to sponsor that and are anxious to get on with it. Now there's different ideas on how to do it. Some say, let's have a brick and mortar academy. Others say, let's have a network. Uh, that'd be worked out in the legislative process. But so far, we haven't really heard any pushback on any specific recommendation yet. But, uh, you know, it, it, excuse me, it is early, you know. Uh, so we would hope that everyone would say, we're gonna accept every single one of your recommendations. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we won't be able to do this. And, you know, there's enormous number of priorities. You know, there's the infrastructure bill, there's the uh, COVID relief bill, there's the cyber solarium, which says we need to spend more money on cyber defenses. There's a growing realization we need to spend more money on quantum computing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So sorting out all of the priorities is gonna be tough. Uh, and that will be a job for the Office of uh, Science and Technology Policy in the White House, and we hope the Technology Competitiveness Council, which would make the decision as a national priority, this is what we should do in the order. So we're very, very enthusiastic and very optimistic uh, that this is going to have a material impact on the thinking in the government and on the final strategy that we adopt. Well, uh, we certainly support that and, and hope that this will be implemented in so many ways. And one piece that you've mentioned is the need for democratic values in the AI that we're creating and supporting and uh, transmitting across the globe, uh, and as well as the, the privacy, civil liberties, civil rights concerns and tensions that can uh, raise up uh, when dealing with AI, both in its creation and its deployment. And I'm curious um, to hear more about your what you're alluding to uh, in the reports 
addressing these these fundamental priorities, as well as some of the tensions that can come up when balancing those priorities against AI development? Well, on the civil liberties and civil rights side of the House, Miriam, we know that machine learning systems can have biases in them. And uh, we say very clearly, these are something we have to be very aware of and on the lookout for. And when we do our TEBB, our testing, evaluation, validation, and verification, um, that we look for these type problems and we find them. And when they become evident, we act very, very quickly. There's all sorts of privacy issues surrounding AI, especially when it comes to micro-targeting and things like that. Uh, and you know, we don't have an answer for these, but we say, look, you have got to establish uh, procedures uh, to, uh, to always keep track of these three key things, privacy, civil liberties, and civil rights. And uh, we can never take our eye off the ball uh, and we never want to go down the ro road of an authoritarian regime. So I'm sorry I don't. I, I'm sorry I don't have a specific answer for you, Miriam. But uh, you know, it is. We thought it important just to say this: we have to uphold our democratic values when we pursue our AI future. Well, and thank you for that. I know I speak for Mark and for myself and, and all of our listeners when we uh, are so enthusiastic about what you've put in the report to support our AI with the critical balance of ensuring that it is with our values uh, in mind and top of mind, it, 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 you know, most importantly. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, uh, China's AI Sputnik moment uh, was when AlphaGo defeated Lee Sedol. Uh, Alpha Zero uh, beat Lisa Dahl in the game of Go. And it had an enormous impact on the Chinese populace as well as Chinese leaders. And that was when they said, wow, this is something we wouldn't have expected. And this is something that is very important to our future. And we're going to go all in. So if you talk to people who go to China and they give a presentation on AI, the Chinese reaction to AI is very, very positive. They see a positive AI future. If you give a uh, lecture in the United States, there's a lot more skepticism. They're saying, tell me how we keep this from impinging on our privacy, impinging on our liberties and our civil rights. So we have a long way to go to convince our citizens, and I think in the EU, that look, we can have a very bright AI future, but we're not going to have a bright AI future unless we keep our eye on these values. I think that's a great point, and 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 we've seen some research uh, around the the different perceptions of AI in these different regions, and and it maps very well onto onto what you've just said. Uh, while we're on the topic of values, you mentioned the Digital Service Academy and the need to get more. Uh, Americans into 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 work in the in the AI space. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, I live in San Francisco uh, in the Bay Area, and and what we've seen historically is that the uh, the AI community does not exactly look like the richly diverse um, American populace. Um, and uh, this is something that you know I think Miriam and I think about a lot. And I'm curious to hear your views on it. Is, you know, how can we ensure that the pipeline of talent in the tech space uh, 
starts to you know create opportunities for all Americans and brings in the full diversity of Americans rather than um, you know a, a relatively narrow slice of them, as has historically been the case. It's a great question, and it was something we debated a lot. Uh, we said, look, we're an AI commission, but we'll never get to where we want to go unless the digital talent pool in America, you know, all boats rise. So we recommended passing the National Defense Education Act, a second one, to expand the digital talent pool with a whole lot of recommendations on K through 12 education, digital reskilling programs, and make those available for all Americans. And that was focused on developing our homegrown talent. Then we said, we want to be the world's magnet for AI talent. And so when you're in competition for international talent, we recommended looking at our immigration policies and tailoring visa and green card policies for digital skills, STEM PhDs, entrepreneurs, and technologists. So we wanted to increase our homegrown talent, attract foreign talent, and then convince both of those pools that working in the US government would be a good thing to do. And so the digital core uh, idea was let's increase the digital fluency of the entire federal government of which the Department of Defense is a part and we had all sorts of different ways we thought we could attract talent. But if we don't win the talent battle, we'll lose the broader competition. Um, so uh, I hope that answers your question. We want to increase the digital talent pool of all Americans. Another thing, but a small thing, but you know, every single young man and woman who wants to go into the US military takes the ASVAB, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. And there's a, I think there are nine sections, a section on math, a section on uh, language skills, et cetera. So he said, look, uh, as it turns out, you don't have to have a hardcore PhD in computer science to be good in AI development. You have to be good in what is called computational thinking. And Carnegie Mellon has done a lot of research in this. And they said, look, if we just had a a class or you know, we required all of our students to have a computational thinking class like in the eighth grade, and then another one in the 11th or 12th grade, you would have a big pool of people who could start working right away on algorithmic uh, software teams. So we recommended adding a battery in the ASVAB on computational thinking. So we'd be able to identify the young men and women coming into the armed services who already have this inherent innate talent. So, you know, this is all about growing talent and exploiting the talent. And uh, so we spend a lot of time on these questions. Well, thank goodness for that, um, because I think we're all in agreement here that uh, without a broader pool, which includes more diversity, a broader cross-section of our country, we cannot succeed. Uh, and so it's wonderful that you have this tangible recommendation uh, to help achieve that goal. We agree 100% with you, Mary. Awesome. <laughs> I'll take 100%. That's great. 
And so I know you love all of your children equally and each recommendation the same. Uh, there's so many brilliant ideas in here, which is obviously, you know, the, demonstrates the depth of experience of the many commissioners who are on this task force with you. Uh, you know, the, the chair uh, who had deep experience uh, uh, from, from Google, uh, as well as I thought it was so cool as a government commission that you had all the public fora to pro provide feedback and, and so many iterations along the way. Uh, I'm curious if and when, I'm sure you will be meeting with the president, uh, and you were to say, this is the most important thing you can do to ensure that we achieve excellence in democratic AI. Is there one recommendation you would offer? Yeah, that's impossible to answer, Miriam. The way I would answer it is I would have one recommendation in each of our four pillars. So on leadership, the Technology Competitors Council, we have to establish it. We got to get the vice president behind it. Kamala Harris would be terrific at it. Um, so that would be my first one there. On the here, talent here. side, the talent side is pass the National Defense Education Act and make the Digital Service Academy and change our immigration policies to get the talent right. On the hardware side, we just need to implement our national microelectronics strategy, which we think is good, but we haven't really pursued it. And we need to have domestic fabrication of chips. That's expensive. It's so expensive. The only way we could get it is with government subsidies. You know, the fab cost may be on the order of 30 to $40 billion. So there's not going to be a company that's going to be able to lay that type of capital down because the business case wouldn't close for forever. So doing that. Then on the innovation side, doubling our federal funding for R&D and establishing the AI research infrastructure. If you got those four things, that would be the framework for a really good strategy. And then <clears throat> international S&T partnerships, particularly with the EU, uh, our allies in the Western Pacific and India, um, and launch an international digital democracy initiative. And that would really say, this is where we have to focus on democratic values together. And we all want a we all want a bright AI future, but we want one that's consistent with our values and one that is going to uh, materially improve the lives of our citizens. So I couldn't give you one. <laughs> that's my elevator speech. We'll, we'll take four. <laughs> we um, want to end with a question that we that we ask all of our guests. It strikes me that you have you have been deeper in the world of AI than almost anyone else in the world in the last uh, many months that you've been uh, leading the commission. And so you've seen a lot of what's going on in the AI space in terms of the technology, governance, et cetera. We like to ask all of our guests to tell us a, a rose, a thorn, and a bud. The rose is something they've seen that they're excited about. It's positive. It's great. The thorn, something scary, um, negative, bad. And the bud is something coming down the pipeline in the future that's exciting, that you're looking forward to. Well, the rose in my view is, we honestly believe that there is a growing bipartisan consensus that we have to do something to be more competitive in the technological space. And we see it in a lot of different ways, coming out of the White House, coming out of Congress, 
uh, senior leaders talking about it all the time. So the rose is, wow, we see that rose starting to bloom. So that's a good thing. The bad thing is we haven't convinced our citizens yet. I think there is still a lot of skepticism about artificial intelligence and worry about what type of future it would lead to. So we have to spend much more time speaking directly to the American people and to the citizens in Europe. And we say, look, this is a bright future. Yes, some bad people are going to use artificial intelligence for bad things. But as long as we're aware of the threats and prepare for them, the bright side of the future uh, is the one that should attract you. And the bud, let me see, the thing that's, uh, I don't know, let me think. Uh, tell me again. Perhaps the adoption of, of each of the recommendations from the report. Yeah, I mean, that would be wonderful for all of us who've worked so hard on the commission for the last two years. Um, we do believe that this provides the government with at least the framework for a way forward. And if it starts to bud and grow, uh, we believe that we will be AI ready by 2025. We will be able to compete with anybody in high technology. And in the end, we think we will be the world leader and be able to preserve our democratic values, which would be a win-win-win. Well, that is certainly a bud we can all look forward to. Bob, we are so grateful you took the time to talk with us today. We're so grateful for the service you've offered the country for a few decades and also in particular the last few years with your fellow commissioners in leading to this seminal report, which I think it's fair to say one of the biggest things to happen in AI in the US in some years. And we will look forward to celebrating its accomplishments and, and to doing whatever we can to help its implementation. Well, Miriam, Mark, thank you for having me. And uh, I wish you the best of luck on uh, future podcasts. And don't forget about us. We'll be happy to come back and uh, talk to you about how things seem to be progressing. Uh, Congress, I didn't mention Congress asked us to stay uh, intact until October of 2021 to help them monitor how things are going and uh, to help them uh, get certain things over the goal line. So uh, we'd be happy to talk to you sometime in the future and tell you how we're doing. Well, we're going to take you up on that. Yeah, it's, it's farewell for now. We'll 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 take you up on that. We'll we'll be back in a few months. We we very much want to hear how how things roll out over the months ahead. All right. So we well, look forward to continuing the conversation. Me too. Take Have care. a great day. You too. Bye bye. You too. Bye, Bob. Wow. Well, that was that was really quite the quite the conversation with Bob. It struck me that not only has he and his his team at the commission done an incredible service to the US and to all of us through the work on the report, but he's just really developed an incredible sense of what's happening in the AI space and what needs to happen to make sure that we can have a positive AI future in this country. 
And they really left no stone unturned uh, in their very ambitious goal to get our foundation for AI readiness by 2025. So I love that they were both extremely ambitious, but also very detailed in both the funding that was nece would be necessary, uh, as well as the Digital Service Academy uh, to make sure that we have a diverse population ready uh, to lead in the AI space. And all the thought and care they've put into ensuring that the AI we create is democratic and responsible, as uh, we talk about all the time on this show. Absolutely. I was so struck by both the attention to detail on specific issues, as well as the kind of big picture 30,000 foot view that the commission has taken. Uh, I, I think this was the first time I had heard the term governance and societal adhesion attacks used to describe the uh, risks that, that AI can present to our society. And I think to be able to navigate from these big picture risks like that to focused on specific you know, appropriations, specific programs, specific priorities like the uh, new Defense Academy or the Technology Competitive Council I just think it's it's an incredible service and, and an amazing piece of work. Yes, agreed. Um, I think we're so fortunate that we got to talk with the vice chair that helped produce this work, and I can't wait to continue the conversation with him as well as hear our next episode. Absolutely. I'm excited to check back in in a few months and, and see how things have gone. Agreed. You have just listened to In AI We Trust, hosted by Miriam Vogel from Equal AI and me, Mark Kane from the World Economic Forum. Subscribe to or download our podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. And to learn more or get involved, please visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to Alex Pena and the NP Agency for their great work and their generous production of this podcast.